Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Wednesday Night Fight Network Sports Conversation. I'm Don Henderson, and we've got a great group of people coming along with us tonight, as always. Roy Cumming in Tampa, Florida. And boy, do we have things to talk about in Tampa. Tommy LeMaine, 
TV and radio personality in Philadelphia. A lot of things happening there as well. Billy Wurndell, one of our regulars for the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA, and he'll be joining us later on. Mike Zimzak in Baltimore and Doug Hamilton in Washington, D.C. So before we start, our executive producer, Frank Carroll, has got a commercial, and then we'll go right into the show. Frank? Thanks, Don. Ladies and gentlemen, are you tired of paying high prices for the you know, cost of electricity here in the state of Florida and everywhere? Guess what? It's going up again. June 1st or July 1st, the bill's already been signed for a 22% increase for the uh, electric power. There's a way to beat that, though. You can sign up with BioSolar. They put solar panels on your roof for nothing. They, they then make a deal with you that you will pay the same amount of money today as you'll pay 25 years from now in a contract that they sign with you. If that's, if that's of interest to you, get in a call at <coughs> area code 727-314-6976. They are licensed in all eight states in the United States, and they are able to move basis uh, on, on the need. So if you have, it, have the need, you have the thought about putting up solar panels, put them up, save yourself a lot of money, and uh, we'll move on from there. Patrick and his guys at 727-314-6976. Now, the first 10 callers that call will give an, get an additional $250 cash once they sign on the line. So that's BioSolar Panels. And, and again, it's 727-314-6976. Done. All right, let's go right down to Tampa because a couple of big stories down there. It looks like finally, <coughs> excuse me, we had a quarterback that's going to give up the, the ghost at the end of the season. But before we talk about Tom Brady, we got to talk about a little of lack of performance by the Lightning. Stanley Cup champions the last two years, they came out and played the first 10 minutes of the first period last night in excellent form, took a two-goal lead, and then, Roy, it was down the tubes. Yeah, it really was. Uh, I'll tell you what, it's been a very interesting series. I think the two teams are very evenly uh, matched, but uh, surprisingly, it seems that the, at this point at least, the Maple Leafs have done a much better job of shutting down uh, the Lightning offense than the Lightning have done of shutting down uh, the Maple Leafs offense. And, you know, the Lightning are a very structure-oriented team. They're really more defensive-minded than I think a lot of people realize. You know, with all the goal scorers they have, uh, you know, John Cooper really emphasizes playing a, a very uh, structured defensive scheme, and um, they just they haven't been able to play it. And uh, some matchups have been part of the problem, but, you know, they've had, they've had some issues with the defense core. Uh, and it hasn't been the goaltending, that's for sure. I mean, that's been solid. But um, really it's been uh, – it's just been a little bit uh, sloppy at times. And uh, – when you've got guys like Matthews and uh, you know Austin Matthews and, and uh, Mitch Marner, and uh, they're they're going to hurt you. And I'll tell you what, you know William Nylander was uh, arguably the, the best player on the ice last night. Um, they're they're finding scoring, uh, you know, throughout their lineup a little bit, and uh, it's it, it's a tough team to to defend. Uh, there's no question. Look, the Maple Leafs can outscore anybody, including the Lightning, and uh, and they're doing it. But um, what's amazing is. You know, you you see the Lightning, you know, play at an extremely high level uh, for a couple of periods in the last game at home. They go on the road. They uh, they take a 2 nothing lead on the road at, at Toronto. 
Stanley Cup champions should know how to close that out. And we just came out, you know, you came out in the second and third period and you saw a different team from the Lightning. It was a different team. Uh, nowhere near as, uh, uh, as energized. A uh, sense of urgency was missing, it seemed. Um, so there's, there's some things to be worried about. And, again, we've been saying it for a while now, guys, that uh, this Lightning team has not been sharp for the last month and a half. And uh, uh, we're seeing some of those issues uh, rise up again here in these playoffs, and uh, it, it may end up costing them a, a chance to uh, to go for that three-peat. One other comment, Roy, and that would be uh, on the post-game show <clears throat> yesterday following the game, uh, they talked specifically about the 5-1-3, and when you have 5-1-3, you got to score a goal, and uh, that's pretty much standard procedure in the National Hockey League, and they didn't even come close to scoring a goal on 5-1-3. Yeah, and I think I think what you know, a lot of a lot here in Tampa, a lot you know being talked about, and it's easy to say, well, what's wrong with the Lightning? Well, I think the issue is really what's right with the Maple Leafs. They're playing an extremely strong defensive game right now. Uh, the Lightning are having a hard time getting through the neutral zone and controlling the puck entering the the Maple Leafs end. Um, if there isn't you know three guys standing up at the blue line against them. Uh, already it's, it's because somebody probably uh, knocked the puck away from them uh, in the neutral zone. They're doing a great job. And you know what? Uh, uh, Campbell has done a great job in goal for uh, for the Maple Leafs as well. Uh, they've had some clutch goaltending. And uh, uh, you're right. Uh, the Lightning are a team that, that really, re- you know, lean on their power play. Uh, a lot of people are probably surprised that, uh, you know, they were able to, to win two Stanley Cups. Uh, because in the playoffs, you don't get that many power plays. You're not supposed to anyway. Usually you don't. But uh, the Lightning have, have managed. And, uh, but the, right now, uh, the power play uh, has, has been a bit of an issue for them. Uh, their penalty killing has been exceptional at times. Um, but the, penalty, the power play, uh, as you said, you've you got to score five on three. And uh, when you don't, it's a momentum shifter for, uh, for the other team usually. So, uh, again, we'll see what happens tomorrow night. Uh, they come back to Tampa. You know the Tampa the Lightning are going to be energized. The building is going to be electric uh, uh, in, in a lot of ways, uh, figuratively, literally. And um, we'll see how it goes. But uh, right now the Lightning are certainly on the brink, and uh, they are I, – I, I have a hard time believing that if they can get past Toronto, uh, as tough a series as it's going to be, it's going to be a seven-game series if they get past Toronto. Um, I have a hard time believing that they're uh, – but they're going to not have a, a difficult uh, go of it, whoever their second-round opponent is. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, they're in some trouble. Well, Roger, we'll stay in the same vicinity, Tampa, Florida. You and I chatted about Tom Brady this afternoon. Uh, he's going to make more money in a 10-year contract with Fox than he made his entire playing career between New England and Tampa Bay. Some of your thoughts on him, uh, I think, definitely giving it up this year. He signed a contract for 10 years. I can't imagine at 45 he's even thinking about coming back. Your thoughts? Who? Ro- me? Roger? I, I don't know if you were calling to me or not, Don. I'm sorry. I wanted to stay with, uh, with the uh, NHL, uh, with Roy. Okay. Roy, last week I made a statement that when you were talking about the Rangers, that when you have Crosby – on a team, anything can happen, and don't count them out. 
the Penguins are up one nothing over the Rangers, and if they win tonight, the series is over. The other two series, Capitals and the Panthers, both tied at two, and the Stars and the Flames. What do you, what is your opinion of the Penguins this week versus last week? Yeah, it's uh, it, it, my my opinion is probably not any different. Anytime you've got not just Sidney Crosby, but uh, you know Jake Gensel and and, and Brian Russ and Latang and you know anytime you've got that kind of firepower throughout your offense, uh, Jeff Carter, you have to watch out for those guys. And when you've got a goaltender who's never done this before on the other end in Shesterkin for, uh, for, for the Rangers, you have to be a little bit concerned. And here's the thing. The Rangers are a very young team. Um, they don't have a lot of playoff experience, and I think what this series has come down to is the difference between playoff experience and not, play, not having it. You know, we saw it here in Tampa over the last four, three, four years. Uh, it takes a while to figure out how to play in the playoffs. It, it just seems that way. Colorado had had that trouble. Now they're they're much better. Edmonton has had that issue. Now they're much better. They look so far. Uh, Carolina had that issue. Uh, now they look much better. Florida is still having that issue. They're struggling with Boston. Um, and I think what uh, what you've seen in New York uh, with the Rangers and the and the Penguins, and is you've seen a young team that's uh, clearly capable of winning a lot of games and racking up a lot of points in the regular season. But when you get to the playoffs, uh, there's a different uh, energy level. There's a different uh, intensity level. Uh, it's harder hitting. And it can be a bit of a wake-up call and an eye-opener for, for young players or players who've never been there and done it. And that's, I think, a little bit of what um, or what they're, what they're dealing with right now. I, I, I think the uh, basically – what we have here is we have experience um, outplaying inexperience in that series, for sure. I think, uh, Roger, well, maybe you'll comment on this, too, because the Post has really uh, – the New York fans and the New York press have really pumped up the Rangers over the last three weeks, and they had everybody ready to see the Rangers come out and really play well in the playoffs. And I think Roy's point is well taken. They're young. They haven't played well. And it's a major disappointment in New York. Well, you're right, Don, because uh, when I was up uh, in Pennsylvania uh, last week and the end of the week before, I got to read the post every day, and I only get to read it online here because you can't buy it in in any uh, publication outlet. But uh, I agree with you. That's all I read was about the the Rangers and, and, I mean, the Yankees and the Mets. uh, But I remember, you know, our conversation uh, last week, the three of us, was about – uh, that the Rangers were uh, going to go on. They're the what are they? The uh, I think the four seed, right? And the Penguins were the six seed going in. But I'll tell you, I just when I, you know I heard Keith Jones uh, on uh, the morning show with Angelo Catali one morning at WIP, and he's a regular, but obviously he's one of the national uh, analysts. He said that he felt that he that was the uh, the, the best player he had ever seen now this was taking uh, encompassing pretty much everything not just hockey and i'll tell you when you watch this guy well and you don't get to see him that much uh until you know you don't see him every day like you see some other teams 
he really is some player. I mean, you know, I never I knew how great he was, but I never really knew how great he was, if you know what I mean. So, but getting back to Tom Brady, you're right, Don. We talked about it. I mean, he's going to be making more in that new contract than he made in his career. Of course, he could have made more if he didn't adjust his salary, just like he did now uh, for the Bucks. And what did you think about that, uh, Roy? With at least they gave the Bucks another six million dollars in cap space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not surprised that he reworked his contract yet again. I mean, he's been doing it every year for the last dozen years at least, I think. And uh, you know, he know. Look, he knows what um, what has to be done in order to keep teams uh, together uh, and keep yourselves a Super Bowl caliber. So uh, he knows that he's willing to make those sacrifices. It's not like he needs the money. He certainly doesn't. Um, I think he's probably a lot more willing to to give up salary uh, than anybody in the game almost simply because of, you know, uh, his wife who makes actually more more money than he does, which is incredible, and, uh, you know, all the money he does make and through endorsements and everything else, and now he's making even more money through endorsements because he's got the freedom to do it, uh, you know. And, um, hey, look, I'm not surprised at all that he's taken – that he's uh, – Headed towards the uh, the broadcast booth, I, I think that I, I if he I, I was I always thought that he would want to stay in the game, uh, that he certainly wasn't ready to uh, you know to just walk away and quit football cold turkey, uh, if you will. And um, I, I thought that you know him in the booth would be a, a real you know it'd be great for fans to, to hear you know much like we do with Tony Romo uh, you know and, and previously Troy Troy Aikman and. Some of the others, you want to hear, you know, what, what, how does he think? You know, how does he see the game uh, from up above? You know, what's, what's his mindset in, uh, in each of these situations? Uh, it's, a, it's quite a coup for, uh, for Fox to get him and to put him in place as uh, Troy Aikman's replacement. Now, I don't know how Troy Aikman feels about that. Uh, I'm not sure if – I don't know if Troy Aikman's ready to retire. And, I, you know, and Don, I know you're talking as if uh, this is all going to happen next year. I'm still not convinced of that. I still think that, A, Tom Brady wants to play more football. B, I think he wants to play it in Miami for the owner there and for Sean Payton possibly. And um, so I still think that this is something that's going to happen. But I still think we're maybe two, three, four, maybe even five years away from it happening. Because, again, he's playing the best football of his career, which is amazing at his age. Um, But he is. And uh, there's no reason for him to quit at this point. Well, the, I mean, Roger, maybe you saw it as well. They had a very, very interesting column, and uh, I think it was Monday's paper. It may have been yesterday, but I think it was Monday. And uh, Brady sat down and talked about the fact that uh, what has become a problem within the family, his wife has wanted him to step down for two years. And he said, we've only had one problem in our marriage, and that is that I keep playing football and don't stay home with the family and do uh, other things. So I think the pressure is going to be so enormous now with the contract with Fox, uh, the end of his career with the Buccaneers, and as they said, and they may be correct, I don't know, if they're eliminated in the first round or if they don't get to the playoffs, say the Bucks don't get there, that he will immediately step in and become a commentator on Fox for the playoffs for this year. That That's the genesis of the story. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, the uh, other thing. I'm not surprised that that would be the case. I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen that happen. Uh, Guys get knocked out of the playoffs, and next thing you know, you're, uh, you know, you see them in the television booth or on the, you know, on the pregame show or whatever it might be. 
um, it's a good way to get their, you know, their foot in the water and uh, to test it a little bit and get a feel for what they're doing. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, and look, I, I don't think it's any secret that Giselle has uh, wanted Tom to quit and give it up, give up the game. But, look, he's got a passion for the game that uh, is, is you know, virtually unmatched. I mean, he loves it. And, again, I, I, I think he's looking to do some things that no, other, no one else has ever done. Uh, he's, he's done a lot of those things already. Um, so there, there might, you know, if they've had the argument for a couple of years, very well, very good chance they're going to have it for a couple more. But we'll see. I mean, it does seem like a nice way to put a bow and, uh, and a ribbon around the the, the uh, career and say, okay, we're moving into the into the booth. Um, but man, when you know, when you also find out what what, what was planned for him previously. Had uh, had the Dolphins not uh, totally uh, fouled up their uh, their coaching situation uh, with what they did there, uh, I, I think he'd still be looking to play for another year or two in Miami. So um, I still think he wants to do that and see what happens. But uh, again, never a loss for intrigue when it comes to Tom Brady. Well, as Wait, I talked to Roger about you... earlier today, the uh, thing that happened was that. They put a lot of pressure uh, on Fox, the National, the National Football League, to uh, step up because they've been the leader in television as, uh, since they've come into the business as far as the game of the week and having the key people. And they, want, and they were negotiating with Brady before he ever uh, announced that he was going to come back and play this year. There had been negotiations going on all the time. Roger, your thoughts? Well, you know, yeah, well, Don, you know, I read the uh, articles today, too. And I had no idea that uh, Fox was starting to uh, get cold against uh, Troy Aikman uh, because of uh, him making uh, public statements. So you never know what's going on. But uh, listen, Fox from day one, when they brought over the elite from CBS Sports, and they have led the way, technology, personalities, shows, everything. I mean, CBS, in my opinion, is left in the dust, okay? Now, I do think that with ABC and and ESPN, now ABC is going to be doing, I don't know if they're doing every Monday night game, but it's going to be back on broadcast television a lot of the games. And I think that's changing things, too, because I think ESPN realizes that with people cutting back on cable – that they need to be on the broadcast stations, you know, the, and uh, over-the-air stations. And I just think there's so many factors. I mean, look at Netflix, all this other – I don't have it. All these other uh, outlets, they're taking a real uh, hit uh, financially. And I think people have less money to spend. So uh, I think that, uh, they, uh, that I give credit to ABC and ESPN – about getting uh, uh, Troy and Joe, I think that's – you and I talked about it. I think that's going to change everything about Monday Night Football as viewership. But the only thing I – the question I have is, what about the Mannings? Because that got a lot of viewers uh, last year. And, and uh, I, you know, I would assume they're going to continue it because it brings in revenue. Roy, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I'm, I'm I'm interested to see what happens with the Mannings. I mean, that that show was, you know, depending on the matchup, or even if not depending on the matchup. I mean, that was must see TV. I mean, that was extremely extremely unique. And and again, I think this is why Fox went after Tom Brady. 
Um, it's certainly why NBC's gone after Drew Brees. And, you know, the, the quarterback, you know, Tony Romo, like him or not, opened up, you know, just opened up a lot of ears and a lot of eyes uh, to, to what, you know, these players can, can pass on to the viewer. And I think the viewer in general is just asking for more and more. Um, you know, take us inside the huddle. What's happening here? Take us, take us uh, right behind center. And tell us what's uh, you know tell us what what you're seeing. And we've got guys who are capable of doing it, uh, doing it in an, in an entertaining way. And uh, I think everybody's looking for that guy now. And um, you know, obviously, uh, if you, if you won a couple of Super Bowls, uh, you've got a lot more uh, credibility than uh, than a guy who you know never did uh, or, or played backup. And and a lot of the analysts. You know, have been that. Just scored and, for uh, Washington. Just scored. They're going to went ahead of the Panthers, one nothing, uh, and then they're uh, game five tonight. So uh, that's one of the real surprises. We'll get to that because I think Washington is maybe the biggest surprise of the playoffs so far that they've been able to, uh, you know, stay in it with uh, with Florida, who had such a great year during the regular season. Going back, Roy, to your point, uh, you know, when you look at uh, seventy five. If you look at the TV ratings, 75 of the top 100 programs on television last year were NFL football. So they want to spend as much money as they can to maintain their position, whether it's Fox, and, and Fox was then falling behind, and uh, that's when they uh, decided we got to do something, and Brady's the answer to the picture. Uh, but you've got 75 of the top 100 shows on television. You're in pretty good shape. Yeah, you can certainly dictate the terms. That's for sure, uh, it, it's really well, that amazing shows to me you that how that's... how how the viewership is splintered all over with all these additional channels and Netflix and Amazon and all this other stuff too. But what it also shows, you're right, Roger. I mean, that's a big part of it. Uh, but what it also shows is how much everybody comes together to watch NFL football. Um, Amen. You know, I, I, I guess it's probably a breakdown of, you know, what, what, ga- what those games are. Are they, you know, Sunday afternoon games? Are they Sunday night games, Monday night games, Thursday night games? I'd like to see that too, but it's clear that Sunday night is just uh, – Sunday afternoon, rather, is just a uh, – it's, uh, it's a magnet. I mean, it's, it's become a cultural uh, thing to do. On Sunday afternoon, everybody, you know, gathers around the TV and watches NFL football, and uh, it's uh, it's really quite the deal. It's it's amazing that it's come to that, but it has. Well, fellas, going back to the National Hockey League momentarily with the playoffs, Washington, uh, to me anyway, has to be one of the big surprises. I, You know, I saw a lot of Washington games during the course of the year, and I, I just didn't expect that they were going to come out. I, 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 well, they're still probably, probably maybe not going to win the series, but if they win tonight, they're up three games to two, and that's way better than I thought they were going to do. Roger, would you give me some of your thoughts? Oh yeah, yeah, I agree, and and uh, I, 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 it'll be interesting when we talk to uh, Mike Simzak later about the uh, uh, the Capitals. It could be the surprise team in the uh, in these uh, playoffs. But you know, before Roy leaves, I wanted to ask another question about the TV and the NFL. Roger, let me uh, let me interrupt just a minute because uh, Tom Lemayne is on the line with us. Okay. Of course, he covers the Roy, Flyers all been... year and the National Hockey. Now, Roy doesn't have to go. We're going we're going to just bring okay. uh, Tom Lemayne in because we're talking hockey, and uh, so it'd be nice to uh, 
give Tom LeMay a chance to get his view and see what Roger or what uh, what uh, Roy thinks about it. Go ahead, Tom. Well, one factor that uh, you're not mentioning when it comes to the uh, Washington-Florida series is the uh, President's Cup hex, you know, like the Sports Illustrated hex. And, you know, you get on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you, your career is doomed. And the teams <laughs> that have won the President's Cup uh, has not, have not had very much success, <laughs> no matter who they play. Uh, this year they're playing the Washington Caps. And as you mentioned, uh, they are kind of a surprise, if only because, you know, uh, Florida was uh, deemed to be uh, unbeatable the way they went through the regular season. But uh, it's the President's Cup curse working once again, Don. And uh, to me, I I said before the uh, Stanley Cup started, uh, I thought that the the one team that nobody really wanted to play (laughs) were the uh, New York Rangers, and they've kind of surprised me there. They're behind with Pittsburgh. They're losing tonight. Uh, you know, and I guess it's uh, maybe the Penguins one more shot to give the old guys a chance to win again, you know. Um, but uh, I, I just think that I, the Rangers surprised me. Uh, not quite as much as uh, Barry Trotz being fired, however. That really surprised me. <laughs> Royce, Royce, some of your thoughts. I agree with everything you said. Let's, we'll start with the curse. <laughs> Um, which, by the way, I think leads into the fact that maybe we shouldn't be surprised by what the Capitals are doing because the Capitals know, much like the Lightning know, that you don't have to win the President's Trophy anymore. It doesn't really give you an advantage. Um, The the playoffs are such a different style of of game, different style of hockey, uh, and that that number eight seed can go out and beat you in a long series, that number eight seed, has got just as good a chance of beating you more than likely as as as, uh, as anybody. And so you don't really benefit that much from the president's trophy uh, being the number one seed. And I think I, I know for a fact that the Lightning at one point basically said it doesn't matter where we finish. As long as we're in the top eight, we're good. And I think the Capitals probably look at it the same way. And, I, again, I'll go back to what I said before about Tampa um, is that you know, or, or the, the the Penguins rather is when when you when you're experienced at this and you've done this, uh, and the Capitals have, uh, you know how to play in the playoffs, and you know that it doesn't matter what your matchup is. There's a certain style that you have to play, and as long as you play that style, uh, you can uh, you can win and move on. And I, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing there. Again, another young team, as I mentioned, in Florida, not quite uh, playoff ready. Uh, got knocked out of the first round last year by Tampa, um, and a lot of people were surprised by that because, again, Florida was was uh, the better team, it seemed, uh, going through the regular season. And um, and so here it is again, and I think it's just a matter of, you know, does Florida have the have the grit and grind that you need to get through the playoffs and play that dirty style of hockey and uh, and survive? And I'll move on to the, the comment made about the Rangers. Totally agree. That was the team that, Anybody following the game, at least in the Eastern Conference, was thinking that's the team you don't want to face. Uh, I think it was probably, you know, the same for Colorado in the West. But I think everybody looked at the Rangers and said that's the team we don't want to face. And um, it's a surprise that they're playing at, at the level they are right now. Because, look, they've done everything right. They've got a darn good coach in Gerard Gallant. They've drafted well. They've picked up some good quality free agents. Um, the goaltender is solid, even though he's had difficulty here. 
the biggest surprise about the Penguins is that they're doing this with a four-string goalie at times in the net for them, um, which is amazing. And the final point, so much was made in that quick comment there, I'm as surprised as anybody that Barry Trotz got let go. And I don't understand why any team would let that guy go. I think he's arguably the best coach in the NHL. And, um, I'm, you know, as a Blackhawks fan, I'm hoping they pick him up. But uh, this may explain why uh, Bruce Boudreaux hasn't been uh, re-upped yet in uh, Vancouver. Uh, but Barry Trotz will not be out of work for long. He'll pretty much uh, probably have his choice of uh, places to go. Maybe Columbus is where he ends up next. But he'll have a job soon enough if he wants it. Well, yeah, they said that Lou Lamorella makes those decisions very, very quickly. And everybody was, I think, totally surprised that that happened yesterday, that, uh, you know, they just didn't think uh, that Lamorella was going to make that kind of decision that quickly. So, but, uh, Roger, let's get oh, back I to you. And, uh, I said, well, you know what I was that, wondering? Uh, when, when Barry Trotz was the, uh, on the cup with the, uh, the Washington Capitals, uh, you know, it was like he had the same roster. Now, the Caps were the same roster, basically, for the three preceding years before Barry Trotz took over as coach. And um, they won. He won. He won the cup with them with the same personnel. And and I was really surprised that Washington lowballed him when it came to a contract, number one. <laughs> number two, I'm never surprised at what Lou Lampolo does. He may, be, he may make some, some of the most outside decisions, but they always seem to be right. And uh, I just thought that the, uh, uh, the, the the odds were stacked against the Islanders from the beginning of the year when they had to play the first 15 games on the road. Uh, they didn't know right. to you know get their new arena squared away. Um, I still think the Islanders have the basics for really being a competitive team for the Cup. And I think before the year started, I said this uh, a million times, before the National Hockey League got underway this year, I thought that for the first time that I can remember, at least six or eight teams could have won the Stanley Cup, were favored to win the Stanley Cup. There was no clear-cut favorite. And now as things are going, uh, you know, uh, the, the Rangers could be out by tonight, and I thought they would really make a run in the playoffs. But now I think it's just open. I mean, it's wide open, and I don't ever remember a National Hockey League season beginning the season with such an open field of uh, teams that could win the Stanley Cup. Roger? I'll leave you guys with this. I'm going to comment real quick on that. I mean, he's absolutely right. It is wide open. It's one of the things that makes the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs so special is that you never know who's going to get there. I mean, a year ago, look at it. Tampa ends up playing Montreal. I mean, who, who would have thought that? Even the year before, Dallas kind of comes out, not necessarily out of nowhere, but I don't think anybody would have picked them to be the finalist uh, out of the West, and, and that's what happened. So uh, it's one of the things that makes the Stanley Cup finals uh, – so special, but back on the Barry Trotz thing, and I'll leave you guys with this, because it makes me wonder, is there something about Barry Trotz that we don't know? Is there something that's, that, 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 because, look, I, I don't think Nashville ever should have let him go, number one. Uh, and, yes, he got low-balled by Washington, and, he, and he's allowed to go to the Islanders. And now the Islanders were the team that a lot of people picked to be Stanley Cup contenders. Certainly, uh, some people thought they would win the East. Uh, and, and some people had him picked as a, a Stanley Cup finalist uh, this year. Uh, now they let him go. And granted, it's coming off a very disappointing season for the Islanders. But, you know, the problem is, is not coaching. It's not system. It's, it's, it's goal scoring. They just don't have enough of it. So 
Um, it, it just makes make, me wonder make, if there's something make, about fairy trots that yeah. uh, that we don't that's know. A very good, so, uh, that's a very good point. There must be a missing link there that we don't know about. And uh, yeah. it's like it's like yeah. when a when a great baseball. Well, Roy, thank you very very much as always. And uh, sit down, have a nice quiet dinner with the family, and uh, we'll get together next uh, next Wednesday night at six at seven thirty. Thanks once again. Have a great week, All right, guys. Roy. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the heck out of it. Thank you. Hey Tom, uh, I've got a I got a question for you on the Flyers. They have not announced the new coaches yet, correct? Oh yeah, no, they have not. I'm sorry. Trevor. No, they have not announced the new coach. Yeah, well, could Barry Trot go to the Flyers? Of course he could. Uh, but you know. Getting back to what Roy said, I, yeah. I, there's something about Barry Trotz. Maybe it's an inside thing. And whatever that inside thing is, if well, the players the consider that, uh, they, may, they may just wave on Barry Trotz. Well, by the way, I think he's the best coach in the National Hockey League as well. But you have to wonder, as Roy said, what is it there that makes this guy uh, not wanted to be back with Washington and the Islanders don't want him back. I just don't uh, of course, in one case, Washington won the cup with him, and I think uh, the Islanders got dealt a bad deal, a bad uh, hand of cards this year. But, um, you know, with the Flyers, getting back to the Flyers, Roger, uh, I said this some time ago. Uh, the Flyers have to hire somebody not only on the basis of strategy, but on the basis of PR. I mean, they are losing uh, season ticket holders faster than people are jumping off the Titanic. And I think that uh, somebody like Rick Tockett, now, you know, that's Tockett who I certainly may not, yeah. he not, not nearly as good as Barry Trotz, of course, but fans and ticket buyers, ticket holders, season ticket holders, whatever, uh, seeing Rick Tockett, a former flyer, a very popular former flyer, behind the bench for the Philadelphia hockey team would be a big PR boost. And I think uh, that's, uh, that's something that has to, I would consider, if I'm Chuck Fletcher, the general manager of the uh, Philadelphia Flyers, and something else I would consider also, uh, uh, I don't think, well, of course, you want Johnny Goudreau if, he's, if he has the inclination to leave Calgary and come to Philadelphia and play before some hometown fans. I know his father and his parents would like that to happen. Uh, but I don't know how tight Johnny feels about the Calgary area. I, I believe he married a woman from Calgary. And uh, he may be very, you know, I think a lot of it depends on how Calgary does in the playoffs this year. He's probably going to give it a shot because they do have a very good shot of winning the Stanley Cup and then make his decision, of course, after the season is over. Uh, But that would, you know, as far as a PR boost, boy, Johnny Hockey and and Philadelphia coming home, that would be uh, even better than than Rick Tockett being the head coach. But I go back to what, you know, one of the three things (laughs) – I mentioned to Paul Holmgren some time ago. I said, you know, re-sign Rasmus Ristolainen. Try to get Rick Tockett to change his mind about television. And do what you can to hire Johnny Goudreau. Well, they did hire, they did sign Rasmus Ristolainen for five years, which I think is tremendous. I really love this guy. He, he has a big presence on the ice. You know, you never know when he's coming or not. And he affects the game even when he's not making physical contact with another player. But something that Rasmus Ristolainen said when he signed that five-year contract, and I believe this, and not because I'm a homer or anything, but Rasmus said the Flyers are very close. They're not that far off 
from being a playoff contender and, and a, probably a solid playoff contender as well. And uh, it's, there was a stat that was ram, running through toward the end of the year. In like 25 of the last 27 Philadelphia games, the Flyers were within one goal in the third period of those games. They lost a lot. They were very rarely blown out. They, they led the league, I think, at one time in overtime games. And, of course, they, they're terrible with the shootout. But I, I, I really believe what Rasmus Rostelainen said, and I think that was a decision maker for him because he could have signed anywhere. He was a free agent. And I think it was like only a half a million to a million dollars difference between what other team would have signed more for him. But he decided to stay with Philadelphia because he really believed the Flyers were that close to getting into the playoffs. And he likes it here. So those things there, they're, they're the three. <laughs> they're, you know, one out of three is so far taking place. The hiring of a coach is next. And at the end of the season, we'll see what the possibilities are of getting Johnny Gaudreau to come to Philadelphia. Roger? Well, I agree. I, I, I think that uh, there were a lot better than what it showed. And, of course, all the experts are saying the organization uh, needs, you know, so much uh, help. And, you know, we talked about it. Uh, you were there a week ago, Monday night, uh, the comments that were, were made and some of the uh, funny comments that were made uh, uh, by, you know, Joe Watson. Uh, you know, I said to Don earlier, I was just so happy that Zach uh, Hill was uh, was uh, uh, was honored, you know, and uh, because he deserves it. Well, but I'm with you. well one I'm other with thing, you, Tommy, before you jump in, I, I think some of your points are well taken. However, uh, I go back to your first point. I, I think Barry had a very, very difficult time. Anytime you start a season in your first, what, 18 or 20 games, aren't even in your own building, uh, it's very, very, very tough. The Flyers uh, or the the Lightning went through that a couple of years ago when they were remodeling uh, the arena in, in Tampa, and, and they had a tough time coming out of the gate because they played so many games consecutively on the road. And uh, I think the same thing happened to the Lightning because everybody was so enamored with the Lightning after last year's well, playoff. The second thing is well, you, going to the Flyers. To they haven't had a great deal of success of bringing people within the organization. Back to the Coyote Tocket. May be good. He may be the guy that can turn it around. But they have a lot of success, you know, either as a, as a general manager or as coaches. They haven't had too much success bringing flyer players back. Well, the one thing they were able to do at the end of the season, Don, is to try the kids out. And the kids have turned out to be pretty good. Uh, Bobby Brink, et cetera, and those guys, uh, their top picks over, over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, with mixing them in with uh, – if you get Ellis back, who never played hardly any, uh, they made a big trade for him to get him as the defensive player uh, that they expected to be the number one D guy on defense. And then, uh, you know, you, the, one, the one big factor is uh, Sean Couturier. I mean, he does so much for that team on the ice. I mean, the, the fact that he won the Celtics speaks for itself. Does what he does as an offensive-defensive player. He wins face-offs. He's a team leader. Uh, getting him back and having the kids blossom uh, will really make a big difference uh, for the Flyers when they start next year. And that's why I believe uh, what Rasmus Ristolainen said, the Flyers are very very close. And I think this was a big factor in his decision to re-sign with the team. Um, I just, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, like I said, there was it was wide open, and I think it'll be wide open again next year as to who wins the Stanley Cup. There's no clear-cut favorite. But getting 
getting back to Barry Trotz, there's there has to be something in there, Don, that that, that you know. How about Gerard Gallant? There's another example. Here's a guy that works wonders with the uh, Golden Knights in the first year, gets him into the finals, right? Boom, he's gone. He does a great job with the Florida Panthers. Boom, he's gone. And now he's with the Rangers, and he took over basically uh, the same roster once again that the Rangers had and gets them into the playoffs and completely turns them around, uh, if only because I thought the college coach that the Rangers had was completely overmatched in the National Hockey League. And Gerard Gallant comes in here and, uh, and turns the, the Rangers around. So you have to wonder, you know, there must be something inside uh, that we don't know about. It's an inside thing, and uh, whether other teams find out about it before they hire Barry Trotz, I mean, what is it that people, you know, that, that gets these guys fired, Rod Gallant, Barry Trotz, two very successful coaches that have been with three different teams in the last several years. There's something in there, Don, and I think Roy made a big point, and I, I gotta agree. I, I'm trying to factor in or trying to rationalize why this is happening. And uh, Well, we're going to find out pretty quickly because he's either going to be hired in the next few weeks. He may, you know, we may have to wait till the uh, the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs are completed to see whether Anybody wants to make a change coaching-wise. But I can't imagine, and I'll be shocked, if he goes more than four weeks down the line and doesn't have a job. Well, no, we'll, we'll know that. What we won't know is why he got fired from two teams. I mean, it didn't get picked Ego? up. Ego? Ego? Well, I, you know, you know you, you, one thing that Lou Lamarillo said when uh, he uh, made his decision, he said he talked to the players. You know, I maybe you know maybe there's something in there. You know, uh, as well as he gets. Well, none of us know. Uh, yeah, you're right. None of us well know. As, you don't know that's inside stuff, Don. And as well as he gets players to to play, and as good as he gets the most out of them, you wonder what is it that he does to achieve that? Is it something that runs people the wrong way? Puts a burr on the saddle of guys that. Yo, this guy, you know, I don't care how good he is. He's a PA, you know. I don't know. And it just, it's a mystery to me. And I was, if, if, if only because it was Lou Lamarillo who makes these wide decisions. Uh, look, when he fired, fired Larry Robinson, after, and he was a great <laughs> He did well behind the bench. When Lou, and then with the, uh, with the, with the uh, Jersey Devils. Uh, if only because it's Lou Lamarillo, I never, wa- never wonder, want, want to undersell any decisions that Lou Lamarillo makes, and uh, this is one of them. Something's in there. Roger. The guy has he has to know what he's doing. Well, I'm Roger. looking at the, uh, Chip. Ke- yeah, I'm looking at Chip Kelly. Tom, okay, did great. Got him in the playoffs the first year. He won. He takes over. Uh, you know, uh, the uh, puts the uh, GM in a closet yeah. office. Yeah. Uh, he got to go, think- and the ego. The ego yeah, takes over case, a lot of time. In that case, Roger, in that case, Roger, it was much more transparent with Chip Kelly. Everybody could see up front. Oh, I'm, I agree. Kelly. But nobody can. And I agree with what you're saying, though, Tom. But I'm no. just saying you never know what goes on behind closed doors. That's exactly right. And uh, there must be something going on there that nobody knows about. And I just... Uh, uh, that's the only thing I can think of. There's a missing link that nobody knows about that's making all this happen. And I wonder if, uh, you know, do you say, okay, we're going to ride through whatever this negativity is about Barry Trotz. 
they have to think it's worth it to bring him into the organization. That's uh, that's a decision that has to be made, and they have to clearly think it out. And uh, I'll tell you what, you're not missing anything if you're not watching. Shoshay <laughs> Altani is having a bad night tonight. <laughs> he's not he's not on his best game. But one of the one of the things I think Don and uh, Roger will never see. Uh, I've been watching the Angels ever since I, you know, they came into the uh, major leagues uh, because of an association I've had with them. But last night, the, the shutout, the, uh, the uh, no hitter that was pitched by the rookie for the uh, for the Angels. One of the things that got buried in last night's game, um, uh, Anthony Rendon, who's one of my favorite players, he's just he, he kind of be, it's, plays under the radar. He's a third baseman, a power hitting third baseman. He uh, for the first time in his life in Major League Baseball, batted left-handed. Right, are you ready for this? He's a right-handed hitter. And for the first, I know it was against a wash-up guy. The guy came in to pitch uh, for uh, the Rays that was, uh, you know, a, uh, a regular position player, and he threw, a, he threw a balloon up there. But his first time ever batting left-handed in the Major Leagues that he hit the home run. I mean, <laughs> that, that may never happen again in baseball. As, uh, as much as uh, a guy like Otani will never appear again in baseball again either. But uh, I, I just watched the film of that again, and I know the guy threw a, you know, a putsy up there and he hit it out a long way. But for the first time ever to hit left-handed in the major leagues, first time ever to hit a home run, that's uh, this guy is uh, – I, I just love Anthony Rendon. I liked him when he was with Washington, and he's a power-hitting third baseman, which – I believe if you're a successful baseball team, that's a position where you have to have some power. And, and, and I think uh, the Angels are playing well, he was the this year. He was yeah, the key really player good. that took them to the World Championship in Washington. He was, exactly. You know, the, fact that, the fact that they decided to let him go, didn't want to pay, is uh, well, probably well, one of the biggest mistakes they made because they, they had nobody to replace them. And uh, they still don't have anybody to replace them. And now they're a fourth-place team instead of a contender. I've had I've got tickets for all three games when the Angels come in. They're finally coming into Philadelphia. They've only been to Philadelphia one time, and uh, they were supposed to go during the COVID, and it, of course it got canceled. Uh, but you know, it used to be you wanted to go see the Angels because of Mike Trout. <laughs> now you know Mike Trout's not playing tonight, and uh, he's got uh, Otani pitching, so you got two guys that you'd want to see. And for the first time, you'll have both. Uh, you'll have both. Most valuable players playing in the same game. Uh, Otani, the most yeah. valuable player last year in the American League, and of course uh, the Phillies have their uh, right fielder, who's been the most valuable player in the uh, National League. And I, I don't know how many times that's happened, uh, where you know, especially when National League well, teams. Well, we'll get we'll get into the, we'll get into the Phillies on another date. <laughs> well, there's so well, many things to talk about in Philadelphia. Let's get to Billy Wardell because uh, William. Uh, when we did a show earlier today, you started off what I thought with a great question, and that was, where were the 76ers in Game 5 uh, last night in a championship playoff series? Where were they? I think they, were, they took their vacation early la- last night, Don, to be honest with you. I mean, that was a, such a lackluster effort led by Embiid and company. Uh, James Harden looked like he was 100 years old. Mackie couldn't do anything. Tobias Harris reverted to Tobias Harris. So that was an embarrassing loss. I mean, it's one thing if you lose by four or six points that goes right down to the wire. This game was over by the beginning of the fourth quarter. Very disappointed. And 
I'm going to tell you something. They they lose tomorrow night. I think it's all over for Doc Rivers. Well, I'll tell you, I thought uh, when they were down by 20 in the second quarter, I thought it was all over. They weren't going to make up a 20-point deficit uh, with their big guy really having a lot of trouble re-injuring the eye. Roger, we'll let you jump in on this one. Well, I, I totally agree uh, with you guys. I mean, that was a joke. And, uh, you know, and I just, you can't believe that in that situation, and I don't know whether Tom's still with us or not, but in that situation to come out and be as lethargic as they were and not into the game in any way, it's ridiculous. I mean, this is playoff basketball, you know, and uh, they have a chance to come back. And, uh, you know, is what do you think, Bill? Is it leadership? Well, I think it, it's also the coach. I mean, I think he's got to go. Well, I, I certainly think that I had John Nash on my show today, and he feels as though that if Rivers loses as well, that he will be gone, and that Joshua Harris should be knocking on Jay Wright's door and say, how much do you want to coach my NBA team? Because right now, I don't think they're – they're buying into Doc Rivers. I think it's time to turn the page. It's unfortunate. You can't fire the players. You have to uh, fire the coach. And another guy's got to be held accountable, Daryl Morey, who fell in love with uh, James Harden. I mean, yeah. he's going to get James Harden here, hell or high water. And James Harden is not the player he was a couple of years ago. And, look, Ben Simmons was a problem. But they could have waited a lot longer because – uh, they gave up a lot from their bench with Drummond and, and uh, Curry. I mean, Curry. this club does not yeah. have a bench at all, and that's right. the unfortunate part about it. And Embiid, I think he was pouting a little bit at the outset of the game because he didn't win the MVP. Come on, right. Joel, you didn't win it? Turn the page. Uh, play with a, a sense of urgency. Play with passion. He did not play with passion early in that game. Billy, you made a key point in this on your opening statement, and that was, you know, hold off. I, I, my personal feeling is that no matter what they offer Jay Wright, he's not coming into the NBA. Now, uh, your observation on that, you think he may do it? I, I don't think he wants to be coaching anymore. I think he decided this was it. Uh, he's uh, 60 years old. I don't think he wants to get back into the grind of 11 months of coaching an NBA basketball team, now, even though it's in right, Philadelphia. Though. Don, you might be right, but if they banked, backed the Brinks truck up in front of his Villanova home and say we're going to give you <laughs> 60 or $75 million, let me tell you something. Money talks and people will walk. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't right, disagree with that. Roger? No, I, Roger? I agree with that. But, but I also agree with that. I don't think Jay Wright wants any parts of coaching in the NBA. I, I really don't. Roger, you might be right, but you know what? The, the money situation is so great in the NBA. It's incredible. It's just mind-boggling. And right. an owner like Joshua Harris who wants to buy the Denver Broncos, Chelsea United, the whole deal, he has so much money, $60 million is nothing to a billionaire billionaire. So let's switch over the page, Philly, because we only have so much time. Let's go turn over to the Phillies. They finally won a series. They won it this afternoon, four to two, and uh, 
uh, against Seattle. Most of us had a chance to see that game as we did last night. You and I chatted about that play at first base. And uh, after you and I finished your show, uh, they explained what happened uh, on that first base play uh, last night out in Seattle. I don't know whether you had a chance to hear it or not. Yeah, I did. It was very ambiguous. I mean, there's a clock, this and that. Uh, give me a break. Right. I mean, if we have replay, you, you know, you have an opportunity. If it's a, if it's a questionable call, uh, you know, it was such a bang-bang play. And, you know, a, a, a lot of people were in the dark about what was going on. So, I mean, right. the umpire's got to, uh, you know, uh, convene in the middle of the infield and say, okay, we're going to review this play to see where we stand. He did not do that. And that was ridiculous. I mean, he was obviously out. He jarred the ball loose, but that was after he was out. So, I mean, That's that right. was a total, total meltdown by the umpiring crew. Why well, he couldn't see it. He was behind, he was Wait, behind the runner and the first baseman. I, he couldn't Don, see it. He Tom couldn't Tom see the ball getting knocked out. I think Tom, Don, I think Tom LeMain wants to jump in. Why didn't the umpires use their new microphones to explain that to everybody? I mean, uh, I well, well, that's another. Disconnected, Tom. Pardon me? Their microphones were disconnected. Well, connect them and explain to the fans and everybody else, <laughs> and the announcers in particular, what was the ruling on that play. If there was any time that they're going to use these new microphones, that was a perfect example. Nobody knew what the heck was going on. Just get on the horn and explain, we made this call because. Boom. That's all. Well, they got out of it today by explaining the clock, as Billy just indicated. And I had not heard that before it was on the game today, uh, that the clock was – there's a 10-second rule, and yeah. uh, they, they started the clock before the ball was knocked out of his hand and rolled out. Uh, Joe Girardi was 100% correct. They should have replayed it. whole thing should have been settled. As Billy just indicated, the umpire should have got in the middle of the field, said, look, we got a problem here. Let's get it solved. Let's have a replay, and let's make the right decision. They didn't do it. The umpires were wrong. Dropped the ball. Like Billy said, the whole clock thing, Bill, uh, that that you just mentioned, Don, that's so arbitrary. I mean, 10 seconds, 9.5 seconds, maybe they had 4.5 tenths of a second. As Bill mentioned, that, that part of it is so arbitrary and so subjective at this point. That uh, that was to me that was not the factor, and if it was a factor, the umpires again should have gotten on their microphones and said, "Here is why we're not allowing this to happen. You didn't pay, you didn't make the call timing enough. You didn't do this, and that we made this ruling simply because this is what happened. That's all they had to do." And I, and well, I was, but, know, but Tommy, but Tommy, you got you got to look back at the whole play. Once they threw Joe Girardi out of the game, and once he came out. Yeah. And, and and he was right from the beginning. He made the right call. He wanted them to replay it. But once they threw him out of the game, they're not going to go back and revamp, and revamp now. Billy, you're, you're not going to see the umpires do something like that once they've thrown the, the manager out. No, no, no. no, 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 no question about it. I just want Wait a minute, one person at a time. Yeah. Tommy, hold on, hold on. Let Billy get in there. Well, no, hmm. they're, they're, they're not. After they threw the, uh, the manager out, they're not going to go back and – and say we made a mistake. I mean, I thought, no. I thought it was great that Joe Girardi came out and, and argued with the umpires, but you know that that's the one thing that's missing today with all this, you know, analytics and all that stuff that 
we rarely see managers argue with umpires. It was great to see that because that's part of the game. Uh, Billy Martin and well, Earl Weaver and Gene Mock, I used to love to see them manage, but uh, um, argue with umpires. But today we don't see it very, very few times. Go ahead, Tommy. Sean, I, I, I watched the game last week where Sean Barber uh, was the first base umpire. He was overturned three times. <laughs> three times in one game by the replay. Now, what do you want to say? It's the replay's good or that umpire is bad? I mean, that's yeah. embarrassing. For, for, for one umpire in the same game to have his calls at first base overturned three times, that's embarrassing. I mean, I, I, if I was Sean Barber, I would have gone into the dugout, gotten dressed, and went home. I mean, <laughs> I would have hit the, wherever I could find a hiding place, I would have hit. But what do you think about that, Bill? I mean, three times in one game, Tom, your calls are... You know what? I'm going to tell you something. And Fred Gadelli, who's the executive producer of Sunday Night Football, made a very good point. He said, I'd like to see replay eliminated. We have taken the human element out of the game. I know they want to get things right. We've taken the human element, and these umpires and officials are all looking over their shoulder. Am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah. Uh, how, how am I yeah. going to be evaluated? I think we have really taken the human element out of the game, and, and it's just like we're watching robots out there. And I, I just think it's it's really, really bad. It's really hurt the sports, whether it's football, baseball, hockey, or basketball. I think it's ridiculous. We have to go to replay. We have to go to replay. I mean, you have three officials on an NBA court. You have, what, six, uh, four officials on a hockey rink. You have four umpires on a baseball field. You have six officials on a football field. Come on, or seven officials. I mean, it's just ridiculous. We're taking the human element away. I would say on boundary plays, you know, uh, home runs and things like that, I don't have a problem. But now if you slide and your body comes off the base a split second and, and the, the uh, fielder has his glove on your backside, you're out. That's not the way the game's supposed to be played. Come on. It's ridiculous well, what's happening today in sports. They have ruined it with all this replay garbage. Let's go away. Let's go away from the upfiring and the ruling for just a while. Let's go around the horn. We'll start off with Tom. What your evaluation now? Now that long and lengthy. Your evaluation of the Phillies of last year and the Phillies as we see them right now, where they are in the National League East. What's your opinion? I still think there'll be a lot of nine to seven games. (laughs) But if they start to get pitching, maybe it'll be a nine to six game. Uh, but it should never take it should never take four or five minutes to make a decision that an umpire has to make in a split second. I think well, let's get off the um, let's get off the umpires for a minute. Forget the umpires. Uh, uh, we uh, we uh, can't uh, change uh, the umpires. Nine to six <laughs> games. Nine to six games will be the norm, I think, for the rest of uh, the Phillies season. Uh, they just their lineup is just too good uh, as far as hitting goes, and uh, you know their infield is not the best. As far as well, their whole defense is really not the best there is. So the Phillies will really have to outpound the other teams by scoring a lot of runs. That's my assessment of Philadelphia. If they happen to get a couple of good pitchers thrown in there, and they get them squared away, so much the better. Uh, but don't Roger. get too far behind. Don't get too far behind the Mets. 
Well, Roger? amen about that. I the uh, I I figure they uh, probably uh, can win ninety games. I, but they've got to get the defense. What is it, up. Roger? Wait a minute. Ninety games? Are you smoking? What are you, what are you drinking over there in Atlanta? <laughs> oh man, Roger! Ninety games in that division. I th- I think that they can. That's my point. Wow, Billy, go ahead. Well, I think they're an 82 to 84 win team right now. Uh, yes, they're going to add hit some uh, teams of, uh, the, uh, the the teams that are not that good. Uh, their pitching is okay. They're starting pitching. Their bullpen seems to be solidified to a certain extent. As Tom mentioned, their defense is deplorable. They have a question mark in center field, and, and that's what really bothers me. And their leadoff spot is awful, awful. I mean, they can't find a leadoff hitter. That was one of the, the things that back in the day, I mean, we can talk about prehistoric times when we all watched the game, but everybody had a decent leadoff hitter. Now today with these analytics, we can't find a leadoff hitter. Well, well, fellas, let's, let's look at this. The one thing we talked about all last year was they had a weak bullpen, they had a poor defensive team, and they had very little starting pitching with authority. If they were going to improve, they'd have to improve all those areas. As you indicated, Billy, they did not improve all those areas. They made again, once again, last night, they made four errors in a game. They've made more errors. They're tied with the Chicago White Sox for the most errors so far in Major League Baseball, and they're not going to get any better. Everybody said they were going to hit. they got a big lineup here. We brought all these people in. They're all going to hit. If you watch the game today, if you watch the game last night, I mean, how many people were hitting 200, 205, 215? You've got to show me they're going to hit. They haven't hit yet. Don, they have four <laughs> well, here's, in the here's field my point. and Deetson Watson has in their kitchen. <laughs> Here's my point to defend myself. They have been a 500 team the last couple of years, correct? And yep. their bullpen, and last year, lost how many games? The bullpen they is better. I 38 I'm, leads. Yeah, that's right. And my point is, when they, if they win 90 games, that's only a nine-game turnaround. Because you take nine off the losses and add it to the wins. So they only would improve if they win nine games more than they did last year. They're at 90 games. That's my but point. But, Roger, Roger, let me point out something. Tommy? The division is much better than it was a year ago. The Mets are, are an awfully good team. Atlanta's getting their, their superstar Acuna back. The Marlins have great young starting pitching. All right? The division's a lot tougher than it was a year ago. Don't you agree? I agree. I do, I do agree. But I also see that the Braves are not as, as strong as they were. Okay? And they made all those deals last year. Well, you can only make those deals. You can't do it every year. Uh, Bill, you know that. And uh, they underestimate they, the Braves because the oh, Braves I'm not, a, I'm not underestimating. I see them every night. I see them every day. Right. Well, I, I'm well, just pointing out that the Braves have a very solid organization. Oh, there's no doubt I think about the Braves, that. I think the Braves are going to be right there. Uh, Roger, I disagree with you a little bit. I don't think they're a poor team. I think they're off to a poor start. 
Uh, but I do think uh, by the middle of the season, they're going to be right there. However, with the Mets getting out the way did, I don't know if they won today or not. I didn't see the Mets game, so I can't tell whether they won. But they've already won 20 games. 20 games. We're only in the first, what, seven weeks of the season, six weeks of the season. And, uh, you know, so look look at the Phillies. I think they're going to win 90 games. Right now they've won 14. 14 games. No, they've won 11. No, 14 well, and 7. Today. You're right. 14 and 7. The Phillies have won, the Phillies have won 14 games. The Mets have the Nationals today. Don, to answer your question, the Mets did win today. By the way, the Rangers just tied the uh, Penguins up at 2. <laughs> Go Rangers. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, I just uh, I, I got to agree with the, the improvements, uh, you know, you did some good analytics there, Roger, when it comes to analytics and figuring out how much the Phillies, are, how many games the Phillies are going to win this year. <laughs> but I, I, I just, I mean, is there any, is there any more powerful lineup in the, not the major leagues, in the National League, than the Phillies could throw out there every day? Now, you're saying they're not doing it today. They look down, as you mentioned. Uh, they were whiffing and swiffing last night in addition to making errors in the field. But I, you got Tommy, they had five hits last night. They had what, maybe six today. I, I can't, they only had yeah, five but, but, into the eighth, into the eighth or ninth. They had five hits. They got six today. So they got 11 hits yeah. in two games. But how long do you think that's going to last? As You know, the old saying is, if all these guys are having bad, bad days all at once, the uh, odds will tell you that they're probably all going to have good days all at once. And when that happens, uh, the Phillies are going to be a pretty okay. formidable force to beat. That's all. That's, you know. Well, Hopkins has started to turn it around. So that's a, uh, one good thing. I think Joe Girardi will be gone, uh, you know, within a month. And I think that uh, whoever comes in, uh, there's talk what about uh, uh, Bill and uh, Tom, Jim Leland, right? There's a lot of talk about him as the, uh, uh, because Dombrowski, uh, they go way back, correct? Wow. Yeah, yeah, the boy, yeah. Look, look at his age. Well, how old, hey, look at Tony old? Larusa. Jim Leland's a young kid compared to Larusa. Dusty Baker as well. Yeah, Dusty Baker. Yeah. I'll tell the you the thing. guy that I would pursue if I'm Dombrowski. There's only one guy out there that I would pursue. He won three world championships. All right? Three in the last decade. And that is Bruce Bochy. He's the oh, only yeah. manager that That's I would go one. after. That's another one. You're right. You're exactly right. If you want to win, Bruce Bochy does how to work a bullpen. He's a master. And he gets the most out of inferior talent a lot of times. You think he wants to come back, Billy? Billy, do you think he wants to come back? I talked to Bochy about two months ago, and he, he still has the itch. But it's not, it's not going to be easy to get him to come back. You're going to have to write a big check. Now, how much does Middleton want to pay a manager? Because remember, does the manager really manage today with all these analytic departments they have in baseball? I mean, they're getting away from it a little by little, but they've spent a lot of money for analytics. You see Girardi look at these charts every yeah. day. You see that today, him looking at the cards, Bill? Drives me crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. It's crazy. You can get Bruce Bochy to come out of retirement. I agree. 
I mean, you're right. Well, well I, I'm, I'm going to be his agent, that. to be honest with you. Is there anything? Is well, fellas, the Rangers are up three to two, and Washington's up one nothing. Washington has 18 minutes to go in the second period, and the Rangers have three minutes to go in the second period. So <clears throat> we're looking at some hockey tonight that may be a couple of upsets. Uh, Rangers, but, Billy, been, thank, you, thank you, thank you very, very much. We we can't get into the Flyers tonight with you, William. We'll have to wait, and, and we'll get a little bit more on those 76ers when we see what they do tomorrow night. Holy smokes, what a terrible it. game! Billy, thank well, you very, very much. Talk to you thanks, soon. Bill. Have a great Anytime, week. Don, Tom Lemayne, Roger. I enjoy doing the show with you guys. Your guys, you're the best. Thanks, Billy. Bye-bye. No question about it, Billy. You're the best. You got it. You got your handle on it, all of it. Thank you very right. much again. Okay. Bye-bye. Mike Simzak is ready now. We're going to get to Mike Simzak and talk about what's happening in Washington, what's happening in Baltimore, and primarily with the uh, the Washington Capitals leading right now. Whoop, they're not leading anymore. Yes, they are. One another. Still leading one nothing. And uh, Pittsburgh and the Rangers are tied 3-3. So, uh, one, Mike, what a, let's talk about the Capitals first. What do you want to know? Um, uh, uh, playoff hockey is different than regular season hockey. And a lot of the woes that the Cats had in the regular season, they've been able to correct in the playoffs. And – it's got them in this series, um, two two now, and to be honest, that you know one up in this this game, and you have to fancy their chances to pull this first round upset. Are you surprised about the defense? They have played excellent defense in these games thus far, tied at two two. I am surprised at the defense. Uh, I am surprised that Ilya Samsonov has been able to put his stamp on the goalie position. He's come up. He's got the faith of the team. Uh, I think one of the things that has surprised me the most has been the power play. Um, The Caps have been getting goals on the power play, and Florida is uh, 0 for the century last time I checked, and the Caps just scored again, so it's 2 nothing now. Um, the power play, not only scoring on it, but uh, killing teams, not conceding shorthanded goals, um, things like that were such, the special teams were such an Achilles heel for the Caps throughout the regular season. They have become a strength in this. You know, we're seeing from the opening face-off, uh, the Caps come out and say, you know, we may not be as fast as you, but what we know is that we are more physical than you. And I think that physicality has gone a long way in this series. Whether or is not Tommy or still with us? Is Tommy well, still with us? Okay. No. Roger, your comments. I'm, I'm here. The uh, – well, yeah, we were talking about it earlier, uh, Mike, uh, you know, about the uh, the Caps and uh, that they could be the uh, dark horse uh, in the playoffs. And, uh, I, and I think, you know, after this round, uh, we'll have a pretty good idea about uh, who's who because uh, I, I made the statement last week uh, that uh, the team that has uh, Sidney Crosby, you can never count out. And uh, mm-hmm. the – you know the the uh, Penguins are up three to games to one, 
and the game's tied right now at the end of two periods. So the uh, what do you think? That, do the Caps have the manpower, the coaching, uh, everything uh, to uh, be able to go all the way? All right, so they definitely have the coaching. Um, they definitely have the talent. My question is, do they have the legs? This is not a young team, right? And so, and they just scored again, it looks like. So, 3 nothing. Yeah. Uh, this is not a young team. And do they have the physical endurance to hold up through you know, the 16 games that you need to play, the, the, the 16 wins that you need to get to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, this is just the first round. You know, we are seeing a lot of energy out of the Caps. We're seeing a lot of – everything's going good. Now – Yeah, Ozzy just, just scored that third goal, and there's, uh, what, 16, 18 to go in the, uh, in the second period. So they're up now 3 yeah. nothing. Go ahead, Roger. No, no, go, no. go, Mike, and finish. Go yeah, ahead. with the exception of Tom Wilson, who's not on the, uh, who's not playing tonight, they are healthy in a way that they haven't been. But how long is that going to last? Um, you know, the the Penguins, throughout Sidney Crosby and the, uh, Malkin's tenure, have been kryptonite for the Caps in the playoffs. How's that series going to go? Uh, if they win that, how would an Eastern Conference go for them? You know, can they keep this intensity up over the next, you know, six, eight weeks? I think that's going to be a big one for the Caps. As far as coaching goes, as far as talent goes right now, yeah. The question is going to be when they face some serious, serious adversity, how are they able to recover? You know, they have been able from – to, let, to be honest, from that turnaround in the first game, you know, when the Panthers were up to nothing, they came back, they got the goals, they won that one. I think that they've had Florida a little bit shell-shocked. And when you look at the, how they have scored, they've tended to score in bunches. And right now I'm looking at a Florida Panthers team at home and you look at their bench, and they're just dejected. Their their shoulders are slumped. Their body language is poor. They look like they don't have any answers. And, you know, are the Caps going to be able to go into the next series and do this? Um, if they got on run, it would be – we'd have to say it would be a pretty surprising one to come from a complete eight seed and make it to – the Stanley Cup, make it do that. And remember, they will not have home ice advantage in any series in the playoffs. Overcoming that fact is going to be a big one for them. And so uh, kudos to them for what they are doing in this. Kudos to them for going out and taking the series to the Panthers, showing what they can do. But um, the guys on the other side of the ice get paid too. Um, I know for a fact that the Penguins, whoever, is, is, are watching them right now and saying to themselves, all right, this is what we need to do. And they're going to have, you know, whoever they have in the next round, um, 
if they win, um, to have the benefit of seeing this series, and they're going to be ready. And, and how are the Caps able to counter that? Roger? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things I'm looking at, uh, I saw in one player, you know how today the NFL, the NHL, uh, they get that brand uh, on the uniform, like uh, right in the uh, middle of your neck. And, uh, you know, oh, I guess they do. I guess it was just one player. But I I, I found that interesting because I saw one player without the logo, but that was just one guy. Because the brand in the leagues today means so much, it's unbelievable. You know, little things. Mm-hmm. But um, the uh, the uh, I think that they do have a good chance, uh, Mike. You know, I can remember years ago I used to get to a lot of games at the beautiful Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, when I'd be down in D.C. and I became a fan. But uh, I, I would like to see them uh, really uh, do something in the playoffs. You know, they've got to capitalize on this run, right? They've got a lot of momentum going through this series, and they need to get on another run. I think despite all the scoring accolades that Alex Ovechkin will end up retiring with, if he only retires with the one cup, um, I think you look at his career and you have to have some question marks. Right, mm-hmm. you know, how can he be considered the greatest of all time when his name only appears on the Stanley Cup once? And I, I know, like if you had told the Caps who had never won a Stanley Cup back in the day when they got him that you know, hey, you'll, you'll he'll retire and he'll have this great career and you guys will get a cup, they probably would have taken it. But when you look at the trajectory of Alcevetskin's career, how good the Caps have been at times throughout the, his career, how many President's Cup trophies they've won, how many times they've been a top couple seed in the uh, Eastern Conference. For them to only have the one cup, it feels at this point as he's getting towards the twilight of his career that it's been a bit of, a, I don't want to call it a failure, but a bit of a and I think that you know, now you've got it. You've got this team that's through these four games. Yes, the series tied 2-2, but they just seem to have that momentum. They seem to have everything going for them. They seem to, as you said, Roger, be primed for a really good run. You've got to take advantage of this. You've got to make the most of it because, you know, how many more times can he go to the well and give you another season like he gave you this one? Mike, we had a big well, discussion I, in the first in the first part of the show today, and uh, between Roger and Roy Cummings down in Tampa and ourselves uh, about Barry being fired by the Islanders. Uh, whether there's some type of with Tom Lemayne in, in New Jersey with the uh, Lightning, and uh, we talked about the trust. What what the, is there some underlying thing that nobody knows about that uh, we know in Washington they just tried to short up on the money. But uh, mm-hmm. Lou Lamarillo doesn't, doesn't make too many mistakes. And he brought him in, and he did a great job last year. He got, had a tough time this year because he had so many games on the road with the new arena not being open. But uh, some of your thoughts, you were, you were pretty close to the Washington organization. Uh, is there something about Barry that we don't know? No, I think that Barry just got jobbed twice. 
I mean, I think it is an unfortunate set of circumstances that you couldn't make up if you wanted to. And he just got dropped twice in a row. Um, if he came to the Flyers next year, I bet you he would find success and the people would love him. Uh, he won a Stanley Cup down here. He wanted more money than the owners were willing to pay. He felt like he deserved it, and he probably did. They decided that they wanted Reardon to be the coach. They thought he they, he was younger. He was cheaper. They thought that he could do everything that uh, Trotz did at a cheaper price, and they wouldn't have to deal with Barry Trotz, that he was going to be more of an organization guy. Okay. Uh, it turned out in his two years that did not work, and now they had to go out and get a veteran one. Uh, Lou up in, New, in um, New York basically said, like, this was my call. We didn't make the playoffs. I thought that we had a team that was there. Uh, they didn't make it. I made this decision independently. Say what you will about it. It was my call. Um, you're How right. about 4 nothing? How about 4 nothing, Mike? Uh, oh, no, three, I'm sorry. 3 1. Florida scored. Florida yeah. scored is three one. Yeah, I wanted. I hope that Claude Giroux can uh, do something in the playoffs. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I just think um, I don't think that there's any. I don't think there's anything about Trotz in particular that makes him toxic or anything like that. I also think he's a tough coach, and you know he's a guy who is going to be one of those guys who may, you can maybe hang around for like three years. And then the message starts to wear thin, things like that. He just it doesn't. He it, it's tough to deal with him after that. And that's not an indictment in modern coaching. If you get a three, four year run, that's a with one team. That's a pretty solid run. So you know you bring him in. You know that you're going to compete when he's there. You bring him in. Uh, the one thing that you know is like. You know, you'll win, you'll compete while he's there, and what he's not going to do is he's not going to tear down the organization behind him. So there's a lot of teams right now who are looking at Barry Trotz and saying, like, can we get him? What do we need to do to get him? And I know the team up 95 in Philly, if they're not already on the phone with them, they should at least be considering it strongly. Oh, I'm sure they are. You know, you you just hit a good point, Mike. Uh, Roger, let, let, let Mike let Mike let let Mike make a last point. Doug's on the line, ready to go, and we haven't talked about soccer, which is his main uh, his main forte. So, you have something on the soccer that you'd like to touch on, Mike, before we uh, jump over to Doug. Oh, uh, so a couple of things. Number one, it's been a bit of a rough ride for the Philadelphia Union, who haven't won in their last four. Um, you know, a couple of draws. Uh, and then a loss last night in the U.S. Open Cup. I'm sure that they're not too worried about that. They went down to Orlando, your guys neck of woods, and Jim Curtin decided that he was going to start his, um, you know, kind of his second team to get them some game experience. He's very clearly focused on the league this year, which is fine. You know, they're still tops in the Eastern Conference, but uh, after a really solid start to the season, it's kind of um, they, they've kind of lost a little bit of steam. They need to pick up the momentum, and they've got a perfect game to do it. They've got a rivalry game against New York Red Bulls on Saturday. Uh, Rogers, your neck of the woods, man, was there a costly injury this week? Miles Robinson, the center, the young center back for Atlanta United, went down with a torn Achilles 
which will most likely keep him out of the World Cup in Qatar in November. Uh, he was one of the nailed-on starters, not just guys that was going to be on the roster, but guys that we expected to start that first game. So a major loss for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, we wish him the best because a young defender who was just starting to come into his prime, I was hoping that he would have a really good season this year, um, have a good World Cup, and be able to capitalize on that and make a big-money move. But uh, he's going to be on the training shelf for a little bit. Mike, yeah, thank you was, very, very much. As always, we'll get together next Wednesday night as well, and you'll have a lot more activity on those Washington Capitals as well as everything else happening down there at D.C. Thanks a lot. Yeah. and uh, Have hey, a great John, week, Mike. I survived the rain. I, I was at TC, uh, TPC Potomac on Friday for the uh, in Avenel for the uh, Wells Fargo, and I was texting back and forth with Doug. Doug, I survived the rain. It was actually fun. I went to a bar and a golf tournament <laughs> broke out. Nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, gentlemen. All right, Mike, thank you very much. One. Have a great Our week, PGA Mike. professional down there in Baltimore. Doug Hamilton is uh, ready to go, all revved up, has all the news in Washington, Baltimore area, as well as the, the world of golf. And uh, before we uh, before we get to the golf, uh, so many things happening on the front with uh, the hockey down there. Washington is sort of uh, surprising us all a little bit, Doug. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Washington hasn't been noted for their playoff feats, um, obviously minus their Stanley Cup. There's been a lot of disappointment, I think, for Caps fans over the years. Um, you know, they're obviously an aging team that, that uh, has a very small window here, I think, of, of Pardon the expression, capitalizing on on uh, on their team uh, as far as you know their their payroll stuff and and uh, you got Ovechkin who's in the twilight of his career, um, Kuznetsov and all these different guys that um, you know, are, are are aging. I, I think that they've made some moves over the years uh, to try to get younger, um, you know. But we'll see. I mean, they're up. What do you say, three one at this point? Yeah, they're uh, they're up three to one. Yeah, they're up three yeah. one, Doug. Yep. Yeah, I know. Uh, like I said earlier, I mean, I I was never really a big hockey fan. Uh, you know, growing up, it was always baseball, football, golf, etc. And you know, in, in recent years, I mean, you know, my wife and I watch. She watches every Capitals game. Period. End of story. And in most cases, I mean, she took me to my first two live uh, Caps games, which were an absolute blast to watch. Uh, the best, one of the best live sporting events you can watch, I think, is hockey. Um, you know, and I actually know, you know, most of the Caps players in terms of watching them and being familiar with, uh, you know, different things as far as what she's taught me and what I've watched. Uh, so I, I love watching hockey now. In fact, I, I, I put hockey way up there. I'm, I hate to say this because obviously I'm a PGA professional, but I like watching hockey day in and day out more than I like watching golf, minus the majors. There you go. <laughs> Your wife is a real sports fan, Doug. I love it. Um, you know what? If if she were to come on this show, you would probably say, Doug, who? She knows. Let's get her so on. About, I'm <laughs> telling you what. She she knows so much about hockey. It's unbelievable. Like we're going way back to, you know, the the greats of of the uh, the Capitals over the years. You know, you name a name, and she'll tell you likely what number he was or, oh, I remember him or something about him. 
I mean, clearly she, she knows Georgia football. Um, She's I mean, a hockey loyalist. Redskins fan. I mean, she grew up watching the Bullets, um, you know. Um, her, her parents had season tickets to both. And uh, then subsequently she worked for the Redskins uh, for a couple years, uh, as well as doing all the um, different stuff for the Caps and the Wizards and the Does Mystics. She play golf? Of, uh, does she play you golf? No, not yet. She, golf. she does. She does not. But but she does all my merchandising in the shop, and I've gotten more compliments this year uh, based on how good the shop looks um, than you know any other. Obviously, last year, you know, so um, <laughs> very. Very good. Spent a long time in the retail industry and very good at what she does. And you know, I'm happy to happy to call her my wife. Happy to have her on the team. Hey, Roger. That's great. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, Don and he and Frank, we know about the Philadelphia Ramblers. And uh, when Ray Dinger was on, we were talking about Ivan Wamsley, and I'm sure she uh, has no idea who Ivan Wamsley is. <laughs> But he was the goalie on Philadelphia Ramblers back in the 50s. But uh, oh, well. I, we, I used to play street hockey with my buddy uh, when we were in yeah. uh, junior high. And, uh, you know, we just loved it. And I've always been a hockey fan all these years. And uh, I think it's a you great know, game. And, and what more can you say? I, I used to watch the uh, Baltimore Skipjacks when they were a thing. Um back in my high school days, you know, so you're talking uh, late, 80, late 80s, early 90s, and I had an accounting teacher that, that used to work for the Skipjacks, and he used to give us free tickets, and we'd take a bus down there, and at that time, the Skipjacks had a guy, I thought his name was Mike Babcock, and the only reason that guy was on the, the ice was to get in fights and, and hit people, and it was great to watch, you know, fights live, especially when you're in high school. Um, Doug Schultz. The hammer, total goon, total goon. Doug, let me ask you a question out of left field because I I've been reading uh, yeah. or trying to read as closely as I can the Derby winner and uh, whether he's going to make that decision to come down to Pimlico. As of early in the yeah. week, uh, Monday or Tuesday, uh, the owner and the trainer were still uh, uh, standing on the sidelines waiting to see how the horse recovers from the Derby. Have you written anything in Baltimore? Has anything been written in Baltimore about whether he's made any kind of a decision yet? No, I'm with you. I think he's still on the fence. But, um, you know, gosh, what a story that was to to watch. um, That's the greatest race I ever saw. He came from absolute nowhere and had the perfect trip to get through that one little hole. And, you know, for anybody who's listening that didn't, you know, know this, he shouldn't have even been in the race. I mean, there was the only reason he got in the race is because there was a last-minute scratch that allowed him to get into it, and he was all the way on the end as the number 21 horse, 20 horses in the race, and he was 80 to one. I mean, you know, he paid. If you bet, if you would have bet two bucks on him just just for poops and giggles, you would have won 163 dollars. Isn't that amazing? I'll tell you, it's the greatest. It's now listen, I follow racing. I'll tell you, it's the greatest race I ever saw. First of all, the whole story going in, nobody gave him a chance uh-huh. in the world. And uh, as you indicated, it was like 30 seconds or a minute before the entries were right. closed when when the horse was uh, scratched. They gave him an opportunity to, to jump in. And 
I mean, what a story. Well, you just don't you don't hear anything like that anymore. The other interesting part is that the, the uh, his owners purchased him at an, at a, a claiming race for thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's right. Thirty thousand dollars. I mean, at a make thirty grand. A thirty thousand dollar horse is the equivalency of Elmer's glue, in terms of what you're gonna, you know, like if. I mean, if if you if you were to say, hey, look, you know, uh, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna stud, uh, you know, American Pharaoh with whatever, and you know, you're gonna have to pay for that. You would probably pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for the opportunity to to get a, a you know, an offspring. Of, oh, the other two like horses that, that ran <laughs> second and third. Uh, we're all all uh, almost four hundred thousand dollars. Correct. It was uh, Z- uh, Zandon and Epicenter. So right. I mean, this, you know, look, and you know, moving forward into the Preakness, I mean, the Preakness is kind of the redheaded stepchild of the of the, the crown jewel, anyway. Um, you know, the the Derby is is obviously the, the top draw, and and the Belmont is is a very close second because in many cases it may determine a Triple Crown winner, but the Preakness is nothing. How about the previous? We talked about it last year. Have they have they uh, done something with the facility? Have they tried to improve it? Uh, because uh, a couple of years ago they talked about moving the Preakness to another track. Uh, have they done anything yeah. there or to uh, to really uplift the program? Not really. I mean, that that Pimlico neighborhood is is not a very nice neighborhood, and I'm not really sure what they can do to uh, spruce that up. Um, you know, but they don't. It's not. I mean, like. You know, Laurel Park is a place where they race horses on a consistent basis. Pimlico is not that place, you know. Um, you know, so it's – I don't even know what to tell you about that. I mean, I, you know, it's its not really – in terms of what I see, read, or hear, it's not really a topic of conversation in this area until we get close to the, to the race itself. So, you know, many of these discussions that go around, you know, I, I don't know that anything's going to happen with that facility. Roger, the Rangers just jumped four to three over the Penguins, and uh, uh, they're playing right now. Uh, Roger, you're up. Yeah, the Caps says I still have a lead over uh, Florida, three to two. And uh, you know, yeah. you know, getting back to the uh, Derby, uh, I mean, that was just a you're right, a special race. I mean, one of the greatest of all time, and for that horse to get in at the last minute like he did. But uh, what about the the group that had the horse before they sold it for thirty thousand? I mean, the uh, just think what must be going through their minds. Well, I mean, there's horses horses change owners and stables and barns all the time because whatever they're doing is not working. And you know, if you if you get with the right trainer and and the right people that that have different mechanisms to you know, take care of that horse and train him and feed him and do all those things. I mean, you, you'd be surprised at what you can get out of it. I mean, I hate to tell you this, but, you know, that horse, when he left the gate, he didn't know he was 80 to 1, and he didn't care. You know, and when when you when you look at a, a, a race full of 20 horses, you know, in American racing, if you go, like, three horses wide, I mean, that's, that's significant. You know, when you watch a lot of the inter- international races – where you have like South Africa and Australia and New Zealand and all those, those tracks are built differently. And sometimes those horses run in straight line all the way to the end. And in other cases, they can go four, five, six wide in some of those places that completely changes the outcome of that. 
And that that horse was able to sneak through on that rail based on the parting of the Red Sea, which was the most perfect trip that that jockey and those horses, that horse could get. That should have never happened, you know. So he was in the right place at the right time and, and snuck his way through. And had, the, and had the courage to go through. He had the courage to go through. Absolutely. And he hit the jets on the way through. That's right. So, That's exactly you know, right. But mean, the owner, I, I mean, the cases, trainer, you got to give him credit, too, because, what, he lost 30 horses, 30 of his horses on the farm uh, that he'd built up right. over the years uh, because of a fire. And he was going to drop right. out of the business. And then at the last minute, they decided to stay in. And, and uh, he got this horse and, and really groomed it along. And surprisingly, whether true or false, he he kept saying the horse had a chance to win from the beginning. You know, that was what he said on camera. I would have never entered this horse if I didn't think he could win. But, you know, if you look at that horse's past, I don't know that there was anything to suggest that he could possibly even, you know, run with those horses. Um, you know, you see it all the time in horse racing where you take a horse that's run at Churchill or Belmont or one of the more prominent racetracks and they finished 8th out of 8th, 7th out of 7th, and all of a sudden they drop them in class and they run them at, like, whatever, Parks Racing or, or you know, Del Mar or wherever, and all of a sudden they win. And they, they play these games with these horses and where they enter them into races in an effort to either, A, build their courage and, and speed and all these different things, or, B, to sell them. You know, so that someone says, oh, well, he ran first in this race, and I'm getting a pretty good deal. I'll buy him for whatever, and, and they'll never be able to compete at that level. So, right, I mean, these right. races are no no, they're no joke. I mean, these, these are your best thoroughbreds, you know, best three-year-old thoroughbreds that you can get. I mean, you know, and a lot of times, a lot of these guys, you know, think about this horse that just ran. If he never wins another race in his life, he's automatically going to be somebody's stud when it comes to, Building offspring, and I mean, oh, so he sure. notifies himself as a cash cow from here on out. Well, Doug, didn't that horse? Uh, didn't that he only run in two races before the Derby? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I it was it was tough to find information on him because he entered so late. Obviously, in most cases, when you read a racing form, that that kind of stuff would have been out, you know, early in the week where you could have gone through and combed through the you know, the history and how far they've run and who they've run against and all those sorts of things. So, um, I mean, many of those horses had faced each other in the road to the Derby in, in various stakes races, whether it was the Arkansas, the Florida Derby, or, or any of these things that lead up to it that positioned them to be able to enter. So um, a lot of those horses had faced each other previously. Doug, before we get to golf, anything uh, happening with the Ravens or uh, <laughs> or the uh... – well, what we used to be the Washington the Football camps. Club, now the Commanders. Right. right. Uh, well, the Ravens, I think, recently held their uh, off-season uh, little mini camp um, for the rookies. And so, obviously, they've um, brought in the, the individuals they've drafted as well as individuals that they signed uh, after the draft. And in cases, they, I think they had uh, maybe one or two kind of journeyman NFL veterans that are, that are trying out as well. Uh, so, you know, it'll be a good chance for them to get those those guys into the fold, and and uh, obviously they're going to move towards getting them signed and and uh, sign their rookie deals. And I still believe that the Ravens have a multitude of of moves they have to make with regard to the salary cap and filling in positions that maybe they overlooked during the draft. Um, 
you know, so there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, you know, as far as the uh, the Orioles are concerned, um, there's an awful lot of excitement in the Baltimore area for uh, for the Orioles. So um, I would anticipate within the next two weeks, Adley Rutschman being called up uh, from AAA Norfolk and um, seeing his way onto this roster in terms of, of uh, you know, creating a gigantic buzz. And then thereafter, I think you'll start to see – um, an implementation of, of many of their other prospects at this level, and I think they're going to start weeding through some of their, um, I don't know what you would call it, 4A-type players that don't really have a spot on either place. Um, you know, after Adley Rutschman, I think you're going to see uh, pitching prospects, Grayson Rodriguez, potentially D.L. Hall, um, outfield prospects, Yusinel uh, Diaz, um, Kyle Stowers, and I think they're probably going to continue to add farm talent to the major league roster uh, until we get to the end of the season. So, yeah, well, right now Washington has blown that three-goal lead. They're now tied three-three with Florida with a little over three minutes to go, and Florida on a power and play. Is, so, uh, pick it up, Roger. Down. Yeah, the goalie just went down. The um, what I wanted to uh, get, jump in on was this morning Bob Papa and Charlie Weiss uh, were talking about coach NFL coaches on the hot seat, and it was very mm-hmm. interesting. Mainly Charlie, uh, he uh, feels that uh, Rabel's going to be the uh, heir apparent to uh, 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 the at, at New England, okay, uh, to Belichick. And, of course, I think Charlie's pretty well wired, you know, with Belichick and Babel from uh, the days in New England. Uh, But he also Mm -hmm. mentioned about John Harbaugh, okay? Not Hmm. that he is on the real hot seat, but if it's a a season where they uh, maybe don't make the playoffs, he thinks then he might be. What do you think about that, Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's a uh, what is he the third longest tenured coach in the NFL behind Belichick and and uh, Tomlin. Um, he's not just, he just signed him to an extension. He no, he's he's an extension. An well, he, he, he Tomlin <laughs> may may be on the hot seat and gone. Nah, I, th- that guy's. When when Mike Tomlin retires, I think he'll, that'll be it. I mean, they're not going to get rid of him in Pittsburgh. I mean, you know, I mean, they had a – I mean, they're, they're – I don't know where they are in terms of their, their actual phase of – you know, they don't really have a quarterback. They just drafted a guy. But, you know, is he going to be ready? I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, Tomlin's an excellent head football coach. I mean, you know, he, he gets things right up there in Pittsburgh. So, I, I don't think he's in any trouble. And then you look at, you look at Coach Harbaugh, I mean – I think a lot of his future is dependent on what happens with Lamar Jackson in this whole contract situation, because we know he's going to play this year under his fifth year option, but you know, in years after, if we don't sign him to a contract extension, they're going to have to franchise him in the neighborhood of 40 to 45 to $50 million per season. And I don't know that you can adequately fill in a a roster full of championship talent with, you know, roughly 25% of your, of your salary cap being fed to a, a quarterback. Um, you know, so, you know, they can keep doing what they're doing with regard to compensatory picks and, and draft picks and, and, and rookies and all those sorts of things. But, 
you know, they they don't really make splash moves when it comes to free agency because of the way they structure their contracts, and it's just not conducive to getting that kind of talent there. So they develop well, players, know. and by the time they, they they develop them, they're gone, and they sign with somebody else, a la Matt Judon and some of these other guys that, that sign these big contracts. Yeah, you're right, but and I'll tell you, I have thought about this for a long time uh, because of this uh, quarterback, uh, you know, pay situation. I think there ought to mm-hmm. be a separate cap for quarterbacks so that it doesn't interfere right. with the rest of the team. And, uh, you know, right. if you have a guy like, uh, you know, of course, the rookie deal, that's easy to monitor and control, okay, right. up to the uh, fifth year. But I really think that that's what they have to have. If the guy is a winner, he could get, like, a good, a real high contract. If he's not, and, right. uh, you know. And I think that's what has to be done because you just invest too much in a quarterback when you're talking about having to pay, uh, if, you, uh, if you franchise them, $40 million. You're right. Well, and these wide receivers now are making $20, $25, 30000000 million yes. a year. It's, yes. it's, it's out of control. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, I'll be honest with you, Roger. I agree with your idea, but I have not heard anything about any suggestions of making a uh, a special category for quarterbacks only to take them away from the cap. I think your idea you know, is great. I, uh, well, I've thought about it, Don, and Charlie Weiss brought it up today. And and he feels that that, that, that uh, is the way to go. So, uh, you know, I right. think a lot of times these, uh, like a Charlie Weiss, he's wired. I mean, let me tell you. And he was talking about, that he thought when he went to Notre Dame, that was it. That was going to be his last coaching job. He was going to retire there. We built a new house and everything. Little did he know he'd wind up living in South Florida. (laughs) (laughs) And his son is an assistant down there uh, in Tampa, right? Is is that where he is? Or uh, did he move? He's had – He's not even 30 years old. He just turned 29, and he's already had six moves in his coaching career. I mean, talk about the life mm-hmm. of a coach. Right. Well, I, I got to say, I don't know exactly where he is, to be honest with you. I haven't read anything about which school he's now coaching. Uh, is he an assistant head coach, or is he yeah, I think uh, an offensive line coach? What kind of coach is he? Yeah, I think he was in oh. Central Florida, and uh, oh, he's in a. Well, they got a good I program. Mean, you know, yeah, and and uh, but you know it, it's from one to the other, and I mean it's been pretty big schools. But his point was that from his own perspective, uh, he thought he got the Notre Dame job. That's it, you know. Well, we're going to have to leave it right there, Roger and Doug, because the clock is up against us. Our executive producer tick, Frank Carroll says, "Tick tick tick." Thanks to all our guests tonight. Terrific. Have a great week. Roger, God always bless. a pleasure to be with you. Doug, thank you so much. And uh, certainly Roy yes, Cummings sir. as well. Take care, take care, Frank. Have a great Thanks, week. Man. Thank you, Frank. You're the guy, man. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. Grateful appreciation. The men of the United States Army, the men of the Fire Service, when you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please. Take the time to at least give them a wink or a handshake. Very tough times for men and women in uniform today. These programs are brought to you by BioSolar.
please don't forget to give them a call at 727-314-6976. These programs are also dedicated to those who lost their lives on the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Dennis Patrolman David Curry, Patrolman Jeff, Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Bateson, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Vic Childers, Senior Officer Mike Lehender, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Sergeant Sheriff Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Department Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant George Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levine, Philadelphia County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman and Officer Christian Lakeland TV, Lieutenant Joe Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Myers, Nashville County Sheriff's Office, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wellington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wellington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Pikett, Wellington Fire Department, Super Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Super Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogo, Wellington Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wellington Fire Department. My brother and sister, brother, you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime we'll be 10-10 at the table until that time. May the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Good night, God bless, and have a great week.
County Dispatch to 1999. County Dispatch to 1999. All units be advised 1999 responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul. Good night, Bob. We love you and we miss you.